welcome to another installment of the evolution exchange podcast today we're going to be talking about all things animation which is a very broad topic but we've got all great guests to narrow it down with four different questions and hopefully we can have some really good discussions about everything that animation entails in the gaming industry hi everyone this is chris bennett here and knowledge managing director here at evolution we're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. So today we've got Athos from Avalanche, Nicholas from Important Looking Pirates, we've got Christina from Goodbye Kansas, and Zolt, who's an animation director from IO Interactive as well. But I'll let them introduce themselves first before we go into the questions. So the first person we're going to come to is Zolt, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name's Zolt, Avery Tenney. Uh, and said uh, animation director at IO at the moment. I've got 22 years experience in the game in- industry. Uh, originally from UK and now uh, residing in sunny Malmo for the last six <laughs> years. Perfect. Thank you very much. And we'll come to Christina. Sorry. <laughs> Hi, I'm Christina Sadati, lead animator at Goodbye Kansas. And it was seven years in March that I've been there. Uh, working on film, TV, commercials, uh, cinematics, and games. I have um, 18 years professional experience in 3D, specializing in animation. Um, I've worked for um, on staff for Method New York, um, Freestyle Collective, which is part of Nice Shoes, and I've freelanced for Dice, Shade Effects, um, Wolf and Crow, so Lancelot, and Mindbender, to name a few. And some... Um, animation of mine that you might have seen has been on uh, pan let me in i'm here carnival rose season two a series of unfortunate events the walking dead see jack ryan the regulars outlander forspoken battlefield one and the horizon series <laughs> so yeah that's uh i use a uh, mayan motion builder and i really enjoy animation characters creatures cameras objects motion capture and full keyframe amazing thank you very much christina uh, Athos, let's come to you. Hello, uh, I'm Athos Camel. I'm currently a lead animator at Avalanche Studios Group. Um, I've been on here before, but uh, I've got 13 years experience. I've been in lots of different uh, studios or situations from outsource film, games, facial focused, animals focused, characters, uh, mostly first person um, games with third person aspects. It's sort of where I end up going a lot. Um, yeah, I'm also currently here in, in Malmo, which is a really nice place to be. I've also been mostly in the UK, uh, was in Germany for a couple of years, and the plan is to, to settle here in Sweden and in Malmo. Uh, that's me. Brilliant. And it's very nice to have you back as well. So thank you very much for joining again. Uh, and Nicholas, lastly, your introduction, please. Hello. Yeah, so I'm Nicholas. Uh, I am a animation supervisor at LP. Uh, and prior to this, I've been working uh, a lot in London and uh, in Australia, uh, mostly on feature films and uh, TV, uh, like um, and some commercials as well in London. Um, features from like I did some 
like fully animated uh, feature films like Lego, the Lego movie, uh, uh, we're going to have a feat as well. And uh, that's ILP, we're doing a lot of Disney um, animations, so Mandalorian, uh, yeah, stuff like that. Amazing. Uh, I've also done some game stuff. We did the cinematic for uh, Shikaron. Uh, not cinematic, that was commercial, I think. And then we did the um, uh, Kingston um, thing for um, Battlefield. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Thanks. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you all for obviously the introductions. And uh, like I said, we've got four great questions. So let's get into it then, because there's a lot to cover. So, Zolt, let's uh, come to you first with the first question then. Yeah. Okay. I'll go first. I'm going to give you all a bit of context, first of all. Um, before I fire you the question, so when um, when giving feedback, I'm, I'm someone who who likes to act out quite a lot. And when working with teams that are producing um, creature animations, that that kind of happens as well. Um, and you know, I don't know whether it's just me trying to get my point across or whatever. I don't know, but 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 I do tend to act out what I would like to see happen. Uh, now, obviously, I'm not a dog or a horse, so their acting ability is fairly limited. So my question to all of you with, with your various different experiences um, was related to motion capture and just saying, like, have any of you exper experimented uh, with having great actors, motion capture actors, actually try and perform uh, kind of non-biped or creature animation content for you? Um, and if so, how did it go? Cool. I can start maybe. First of all, I just want to say I definitely want to see a video of you when you're acting out a horse. That's yeah, brilliant. That'd be great. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've had some experience with that. Uh, they actually, on Happy Feet, um, the directors uh, um, wanted to basically mocap everything. Um, mm. We had we had some quill creature. Uh, it's like tiny, uh, small creatures that they like glued five people together and tried to like um, mocap them, and they used them. Uh, and it's like it's good for the main blocking, I would say, yeah. for previous. Um, and there's other cases where it's, it can be useful if, if you are if the creature is kind of similar to the to the person, I guess, or especially in the weight wise, uh, like same weight ratio. Yeah. Um, then I guess you can use like yeah, I think it's super good uh, as a reference. I'm not for final, uh, of course, but uh, but just I just I just want to elaborate on that is that it was. Um... You know, I, I see a lot of, you know, how-to breakdowns of, of uh, movie animators. And regardless of how fantastical it is, they, they tend to act it out. And and if, if we take off this kind of pursuit of photorealism, you know, which a lot of motion capture and performance capture is, it is kind of, you know, as I say, just curious there, whether it's even as a reference point or something else, just that like, oh, do you know what, let's get a really good actor to try and be this and see what we get out of it. Even if you don't use any of it, I think it it, it could just be an, I don't know, an interesting part of the process, which it sounds like you you did in some way. Yeah, for sure. And I, I totally agree. I think that's like the more reference you have, the better. Um, mm. And it's like there's always bits and bobs that you can use, right? So yeah, and we are actually struggling a little bit now with um, some projects where um, clients kind of stopped recording I don't know if there's something in the States or whatever, but they don't record uh, video uh, of the voice recordings. Uh, they just send you the video, like the audio, and you're like, well, do you have a recording of the actress or actor uh, mm. delivering the line? Uh, we don't get it. And um, I think that's a shame because there's always small nuances that you can take from that and add to the performance. 
Christina, do you want to come in on that? Is there anything, any experience from yourself or any thoughts? Um, yes, uh, I have captured an actor on all fours, and um, but it wasn't used for a quadruped exactly. It was more like a, a biped running on all fours, so that worked. Um, I can say that um, the reverse knee works really well if you have like um, a character with a high ankle that's a biped. So if, for example, Biomutant, which, um, animation director uh, Jonas Ekman, he animated uh, um, that very stylized on top of the motion capture, and that worked out really well. Mm-hmm. And um, Thomas Obrecht is our lead motion editor. He just he's so smart with how he he has the rig that actually like maintains the information to keep that reverse knee working really well. Um, but I checked with him on this because I actually thought you were trying to solve a technical problem. So I wanted to get you like a, a good answer from the motion capture studio. I thought, oh, maybe they're they're doing animals. <laughs> but um, so we've captured animals um, actually for Avalanche on uh, the hunter called the wild, the bloodhounds. And that was really cool. So I asked um, Samuel Tiskling, who's the head of motion capture, um, any gems from that shoot. And he said that uh, the dogs were great at taking off their markers. <laughs> and they had to be very conscious of the fur to not like tape the fur. So they had to make a custom suit for the dog. Um, and then they had to go on a lot of bathroom breaks. They weren't like people that are going to wait until your break time. <laughs> so a lot of things to consider. Um, but Thomas actually said that the most important thing um would be not to lose precious data. He's, he's very, um, wants to make sure whatever you were acting, that you wouldn't um, sacrifice for the acting the data. Because once that's gone, it's completely gone and they'd have to recreate it. So for example, if you were going to use arm extenders, um, you, you would lose the relationship between the wrist and the hand and the floor. Um, so I guess whatever you do, you would kind of have to make sure that they can retarget it and save the, the data. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, I've got quite a bit of extensive experience uh, in this area. From 10 years ago, I worked at Imagineering Studios, which is the company started up by Andy Circus and his friend. So you can almost say half his career is based on this question and, and performing this particular thing of... Uh, having humans behave as, as quadrupeds or animals at least um, and what are the different ways around it. So as part of his company, we did a lot of exploration into what would be the best solution to have a human behave uh, mocap as a quadruped um, and what other solutions are there beside humans fulfilling the role. So we did a lot of things. We, we did everything from um, making like a foam spine and having two people, front legs and back legs, be, be the quadruped um to the where he came from uh working planet the apes having the uh extenders as you talked about right the um, the conclusion with that is that that works really well for the the not full quadruped but um for whether it be a stylized creature or something like a, a chimpanzee or other ape where it's like you go from from sort of biped based uh, uh skeleton to all fours running and they got quite good at, at training in that um, and painting like that. And you can get good mocap from that. Quadrupeds are much harder. As you said, if you are going to put an actual animal in there, you want to wrap them and then put markers on. Lots of different uh, potential issues you can run into, which can be amusing. Um, overall, the 
there was no one solution. We didn't come down to, oh, this is the best way to do it. This is how, how we solve having humans behave as mocap. If you're aiming for really high-end quality, um, you're, you're going to have to make a compromise somewhere, right? Whether you're going for two actors in one or whether you're going for one actor doing something, um, it comes down to the quality of data and whether you've got any stylization you're, you're able to aim for. Um, and you also, you point out, actually, you want to keep hold of that data and the, one of the one of the best ways of, of sol uh, solving this is actually after you record it, you can you can um, make bespoke solvers that, based on distance from foot to, to hip, do this with the leg. Uh, make sure the rotations work this way. Um, yes. So there there are there are back end technical solutions of how to handle the data to try and help get around it. But yeah, we did a lot of things. We even tried um, like a theater horse on stage that has two controllers, two people controlling the, the horse. We mocapped up. It gives some beautiful motion, but it doesn't have any weight, right? So that that's like an example of where you can get really nice motion mechanics in the shoulder, but you've got no weight when you make contact with the ground because it's theater work, so the feet are hovering above the floor. So yeah, we encountered lots of fun things like this over a good year of testing. How would you do a pick? How would you do a zog? Okay. <laughs> How much uh, like uh, animation work did you need to add on top of that afterwards? Is that like a blocking you get from it, or so the idea with with um, that level of, of film uh, mocap is to have the highest quality uh, performance capture you can get and use as much of it as possible and really minimize the required animation work at the end. So we had one of the most expensive camera setups and software setups and programmers making dedicated tools to make sure everything plugs anything. So imagine you didn't have a budget limit or you tried to enable yourself not to have a budget limit. That was what his goal was. What's the best that can be achieved with current technology that we can get hold of um, every step of the way where possible. Yeah, cool. So what your... Oh, go on, Athos. I was just going to add, I would also agree someone said, like, you want the reference recordings? You do. From there, we'd have four angles of video recording. We'd have between 50 to 100 cameras if we needed them, uh, recording data. You want as much data and as much reference as possible. Um, and the idea, and like, even every person's job was different. Like, the person who recorded on stage is different to the person who cleans the data. It's different to the person who puts the data onto a skeleton. It's different to the animator who edits it. Because it's like the idea is each expert is an expert doing their one thing. So crazy intense, but yeah. <laughs> so, what are your your thoughts and uh, your experiences after hearing from everybody there? Yeah, I, yeah. I guess um, for me, the 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 point of the nub of the question was was really uh, I've been fortunate enough to work with very talented hand key animators and all the creature stuff they did. Yeah, they'd use reference and things like that, but they would all hand key it. So I've never used motion capture for creatures. So they've, I, I, it's interesting to learn all of the pursuits about it, but that isn't something like I was, I've, I've yet had to experience or go through. So my, my curiosity was, was, as I said, where I started was just like seeing how much, whether I perform it or not, like performance of a human <laughs> in some way is very much part of animation kind of um, workflows. And it certainly seems, especially when you're stylized on, on movies and things like that. And so for me, it was just interesting to to hear, especially from you, Nicholas, that, that it was experimented with and used. Like, okay, what can that human bring to this, you know? 
And even if you ignore it all completely, it's like maybe that that actor was just really good at growling. And the face animation, yeah, it's not a dog's face, but look at the emotion in that. So now I don't have to go through YouTube and try and get all these reference videos. I'm actually going to try and make a growl. Even if I hand key it, I'm going to try and replicate that performance there. And so I think that's just something interesting to, you know, I've now needed to do it and I don't need to do it, but you just hearing from you all like those that level of experiences it just makes me like at some point in an r&d project i'm going to get a great actor to show me growl yeah. <laughs> or something like that. i think it's i think it's also like a cost uh costing right i mean how much you can keep getting references and reference but at some point you need to actually do the shot shot right so um i guess that's the thing with mocap it's it's quite costly i guess um it's getting better now i think with the ai stuff um so hopefully everyone can be using it but it's um yeah, I guess that's the main thing, right? I mean, you can use it for a block, but you could also just block it out in with one person uh, in Maya or whatever. Um, but there's like, then you might lose some small in, like details you might get from, from the motion capture. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could add one one last bit onto that. I know we don't want to spend too long on one conversation. Um, I have found that for the good uh, actors who work for uh, perform uh, do performance capture for creatures they have a lot of training and uh like not just the hours you pay them for but they've got like training for a year or two before they come to do it so when it comes to like cost or working in games i would still lean towards keyframing because whenever someone says oh it's quick to get mocap data and put that in it's like yes but to achieve the same quality that a keyframe animator would get there's actually amount of training from the actor who would be expensive to to pay um, that they've put years of training into that, or at least a year. So if you put the same amount of training into the keyframe animator, you'd actually get to that that uh, quality buy you're probably aiming for in your game quicker and cheaper than going for a mocap solution. That's an interesting thought. Well, um, yeah, really, really good first question. So thank you, Zob, for, for kicking us off there, because it's a, a great discussion, that. Uh, we'll move it on, like you say, uh, Athos. We want to we want to get around all the questions as well. So, uh, Christina, we'll come over to you for the the second question, if that's okay. Yes. Uh, so, um, I guess it's more of a topic, but uh, designing animation, defining how a character or a creature moves. Um, and what I was mainly thinking when when I did this, I was thinking a lot about Carnival Rose season two and and Spars and how much I enjoyed um, that we had. We had parameters, but we generally had small briefs and we had a lot of trust and a lot of freedom to be creative. And I really like that. Um, so I was just going to talk a little bit about a couple of um, a couple examples from that show that I really enjoyed um, uh, having that freedom and creativity. And, and then I'd love to hear from all of you of what's your kind of favorite um experience in in getting like a small brief and being allowed to really come up with with the design and um so i'll just talk a a couple was um we had this um and and this is all designing with um joel lindman who's the vfx supervisor and stuff and linda was the lead animator on this um so all together we kind of came up with there was a a screenshot and maybe spoiler alert so i don't know if anyone's seen it yet um, the witch character who is a fairy kind of witch tourmaline she comes out of her shop and she screams this magical spell at our monster Sparus who's this skeletal character um, with a man-eating chest and not wings but like skin between the arm and the body 
So it's really fun that he's got very long legs and arms, very lanky. Um, so how does her scream control him? And we had the freedom to do that. We only had um, the empty set and the mirror ball that she had to look at. They had to be locking eyes. And that was pretty much the parameter. So um, we decided to make it like a wind coming, like as if as if he was getting blown back and he's fighting the wind. And as he gets closer, he's shaking and, and coming back into himself. Um, and then we had to deal with also keeping his head in place and fitting in this very small space. So we decided to put him on all fours because in the next shot, you could see his full body. So that was a lot of fun. Then also with him, um, we had another shot where he flies across this body of water from one part of the city to the other part. Um, and his uh, it's too far of a distance for his style of flying because he's just supposed to glide. So we put in the glide and then, of course, uh, the client came back that we need to add some flaps. So there's this fun little challenge of like, this is not a bird. This is not supposed to fly. It's not supposed to flap. Um, so I started referencing eagles. And that's what I did with the upper body. I made the upper body like an eagle. But it looked quite ridiculous when the long legs got thrown forward as an, an eagle might on the push. So I had to keep the, the legs back. Um, so that was pretty fun to to come to come out with and the client really liked both of these solutions pretty quickly um and then there was a, a fight scene so we got a lot of sets um where we had to have uh, orlando bloom's character philo was fighting sparus um and sparus eventually has him in his arms and he's inside so that's a digi double so i had kind of this challenge of like a fight scene but hiding a digi double so that we don't have to do close-up of hair and cloth and then um, I, I had a lot of freedom to pose it and come up with the compositions across the shots working together, along with um, here and there, there would be like a dummy stand in or a live action character that you had to work with. Um, and then just for for the gamers, I'll just talk uh, quickly about uh, the Jabberwock from Forspoken. Um, so we got this uh, this shot where the Jabberwock appears and he's in the game. So we had some uh, gameplay animation as reference and we had approved concept art as when this Jabberwock has his uh, tentacles out. Um, and we knew he had to be sleeping. And then when the hero Frey drops down, he gets up and he pulls his tentacles back to start to charge and get ready to fire. Um, so I looked up a lot of reference of dragons, the Barasaurus from Jurassic Park, um, Lord of the Rings, the Ents, because of these tentacles. It's not an octopus. It's more like a tree branch where if it hit the floor, you wouldn't want to see it squish. You would want to you want to see maybe it spread a little bit. So I didn't really know how that would work. So when I looked at the Ents, I was like, yes, that's it. <laughs> um, and then uh, we got to design what it was posed as when it's sleeping. So I thought of these other characters that we did that had these kind of bud heads that were very sharp and they would attack with this point. Uh, so I took the tentacles and I wrapped them up and twisted them so that you had that bud, which was pretty cool. And then with the remaining tentacles, I put them out towards camera so that you got some perspective. And when he opened it up and twisted it, you saw the the tentacles kind of pull back and twist out into the, the attack pose. Um, so, I mean, I have a lot of fun when none of that is in the brief. Like, you just have kind of the bare bones and uh, you have some references, but you get to come up with it all. And that's 
that's the joy for me in in animation. I absolutely love the amount of detail how you describe something like that, and I'm like can picture it so well, um, you know, as well as to what you're describing. So, I mean, in terms of a question, Christina, for everybody else, is it more a case of like asking the others how like how they've gone about small briefs to to expand on that and using their sort of imagination or knowledge in terms of animation to create something, or if they just want to talk about their favorite creative. Um, assignment that they got where they got to design i'd love to hear about it yeah anybody anyone want to go first yeah sure thing um well i guess my my favorite was uh it's a few years now um in sumo digital because it was a new team that was being built up around a, a new um ip that ha- was a new genre for the company right so it was like new 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 we're not sure what to do so there was a there was a lot of change like every every single sprint we were open to changing even the workflows and the pipelines of the entire team so in that area there was a lot of a lot of space and a lot of scope to really explore how do you want to work how do you want to do things um and how do people want to work individually so then animation there was it was really nice to work with uh actually a group of people very close like the design and the program the animator all working very close to each other what do we want from this character what's the experience we want um, and like making, and it's like, oh, and I'd actually, you know, I got to do a lot more designing in that, um, in that particular role than I have, uh, previously or maybe even since there's a lot of design over what, how, like mechanically, how do you want the, the player to behave? What do you want them to do? What assets do you want? And how do you want to plug them in? How are they going to fit into the engine? What's this engine good at doing? Um, so I had a lot of fun experimenting with, right. Like just even walking, um, uh, sideways across the wall and you got the wall in front of you first person game and the designer's like well, well I want the hand on the wall I want to feel it and he's like well maybe we do this of assets and me and the program like actually what would work best is if we do this thing do this thing and I got to play the idea of like oh I could do a whole um, pose um, a pose like spreadsheet of, of uh, blend poses like where do you want it and the program comes back to me is like actually let's do two blend poses one overlapped over the other to control different directions and with everyone's input, we come up with quite a creative solution that ends up working really well. Um, and it's really fun. And it, depending whether you're walking fast or slow, the hands will do different things. And even though it's as simple as just a hand on a wall while walking, that whole process of getting to the, the solution that we landed on, of iterating the ideas, bouncing off each other and like building up on top of each other, that, that having fun with the design was a great experience. And the other things I'd really like about it is it turned into after a year the lead design be like right here's the player ex- experience you guys go um i mean the program would talk a lot about we could do this we could do this and we'd come up with two really good uh like solutions and sets of assets and how they're plugged in and then i turn back to the designer and go right you can either have this that has these points and these good points and these bad points or we can do this way there's these good points and these bad points around pacing and game flow and player experience and he'd be like i like that one let's do that one occasionally he'd be like i can't choose could you try and implement both and we do a quick block out of both plug them both in and have a switch in game so you can walk up switch press it and the the feature would change over to the different set and i really like that free flow and a bit ability to experiment this way or that way until you find what really feels good for everyone's point of view no it's brilliant again i love the detail that you guys can give as well with the with you know your own experiences nicholas all any anything from you like your favorite design experiences or animation experiences that you've had 
Yeah, sure. I mean, I, there's so many, but it's I don't think I picked a specific one that I can't remember. But I think for me, the the most successful ones are when you when you like the whole team is part from like is together from start. So you have like anything from concept to build rigging and animation all coming together and creating something because. If you get something that's already pre-designed, then there might be a director or something that has an idea of, of how this thing should move. But like the anatomy of the of the creature is so important on, on how it's moving. So I think it's nice to like do a first concept, and then uh, that could be pretty rough, and you do a quick model, uh, rig it up, and then try some animations. And there you can then start like, oh, maybe the arm needs to be a little bit longer, or maybe the shoulder should be a little bit further down, so that you can create these nice poses um, and make a make a flow that that makes sense uh, for the creature, especially if you're doing something that's um, not part of this world. Uh, <laughs> if you have to like sort of um, reference other t- type of creatures and, and do it together and, and try and come up with something, I think that is the most fun I have. Is that when you sort of go across department, if you will, uh, and sort of designing something together. Uh, yeah. yeah, brilliant. Result. So, what about yourself? Um, yeah, I don't know. Just a few. Um, I think the going back to the kind of uh, one one root of your question, Christina, in terms of the creative freedom, uh, I'd say pretty much my entire career with it's been design led. So there isn't necessarily like, oh, here's a here's a slight brief and just make magic. Um, that doesn't mean that there, you know, we we come with with designs that are high in detail for animation, but we need to make sure we get functionality and feel primarily. And then that creates the space for us to then explore afterwards. Um, so in terms of, you know, how you're relating your experiences of, you know, a brief or anything like that, I don't think I've ever experienced something as brief as your briefs. <laughs> generally way more specific than that. But it, as long as, and, and the thing is you're, you're in a collaborative creative team, which means regardless of your craft, everybody has an opinion, everybody plays games and stuff like that. So do designers, have qualified and good feedback, thoughts, and opinions on what uh, animation should look like. Same for code. Yeah, of course they do. But the key thing is that we concentrate, we 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 listen, we hear it. Uh, we're, we're not afraid to have our own opinions as well. But we make sure that we can hit that kind of design functionality and code functionality, first of all. And then from there, like, the earlier we can do that, the, the more uh, breadth and freedom we will have to to explore and to really nail it creatively from that point. Um, I think the the only kind of like cool example I wanted to share, which I'm still proud of today, is that I did the uh, the Sniper Elite series, and one of the things I did was um, so design are always placing you know good creative hard limits on us, and they'll say like right okay we we're, we're swapping weapons, but I want it to happen in ten frames please. And I'm like, oh, I can't, can't do both actions in that time. Are you crazy? And they're like, no, it needs to be 10 frames or whatever. So uh, what I did was come up with a, a kind of approach to that is that, you know what? When you swap weapons, we will just, we, we won't do both parts. And when, when, when you ask to switch to your machine gun or pistol or whatever like that, we won't bother about putting away the, the last gun. We'll just get out the gun that you asked for straight away brilliant so now i've got all of this design time and i just spend it on one cool action coming out and it took three um versions of sniper for anybody to notice it in terms of uh, qa and qc because it was the same for npcs and player but because every time as a player uh you'd request an action and the action would happen nobody went hang on a minute you didn't do the other thing first 
And so I, I was quite proud of that, not, you know, necessarily where the visual was or anything like that, but that we managed to get a feel and response that met design and obviously uh, was good enough for the player experience that it took took two, four, five, six years for anybody to notice that that was happening. So that was kind of cool. That's made me really want to just go and play Sniper Elite and also go and see if I can spot that. <laughs> but thank you for the uh, for the uh, question, Christina, as well. It's actually really cool. It's a bit of a different one, though, but it's really cool to see everyone's own experiences and the way they deal with that, um, like different briefs and situations and your own examples. So thank you very much. Uh, we'll go on to the third question. So, Athos, over to you. Yes. So, I wanted to ask um, about workflows, uh, especially when you get onto larger projects. Um, like, there's the when you revisit animations, you have lots of iteration work. You can rework the animations, come back to them later, rework them to fit with the other features and the rest of the game. Well, versus the more linear workflow of task by task. Or um, when you lock in the animation snaps and it's just locked in, so you have certain gates. Once you pass that gate, you can't go backwards beyond it. Uh, basically, um, I forget the the cycular versus um, waterfall sort of methods. Uh, what are you guys' thoughts and preferences on the workflows? Brilliant question, Nicholas. I think do you want to come in on this first, but only because we were talking about it earlier, and I'm quite interested to hear your thoughts on this. Um, well, I mean, yeah, sure. We. Um... I don't really do that kind of stuff though, because that's more games, I guess. Uh, but we um, like I like blocking stuff. Like for us, it's mostly uh, story. Story is key, right? So you you block it out, and as long as it cuts and it's uh, it's all have a nice flow, uh, that's the most important thing. Uh, and then after that, you can start like um, like you can take it to forty percent or whatever uh, in terms of blocking. Make sure that that the whole edit and everything sits and works. And after that, then you can just start adding to all the shots uh, as a whole, I think. And then at the end, that's where you end up <laughs> when you when you run out of money, basically. Um, um, I think that's what I like the most. Like I hate uh, getting into like years ago, I was more into the details of the animation, whereas now I'm like after seeing my work on the screen so many times, like all that little little details that you put in is usually not that important. Um, and that's usually like you spend so much time on all those details. Uh, of course, you need them um, on certain projects and stuff. But and there's always the level of when you should stop and, and uh, when you need more details. But so it's, it's a bit hard, I guess. But um, yeah, for me, it's, it's I'm getting more and more into just general blocking of the shot is the most important thing, um, and the flow of the story. And then after that, you can start adding details. Um, but you can do that forever, right? So. Um, yeah, indeed. Um, I like it. it. Sounds it sounds like the, the it's the passes. So it's the iteration of passes, but you kind of got a slightly more linear mindset of going from pass one, two, three, four, yeah, and not walking backwards. That's cool, Christina. Uh, try and like just try multiple things. Like just in, in blocking, like you can you can animate a creature with like usually one control is probably enough. Like you just animate the whole thing just as a puppet, like going through the scene. You can get the weight right and the timings of just one control. To set the timing and pacing in the scene um and then from there on yeah then you add the legs and you do those other things but like I'm, I'm after that i'm starting to get bored of it now because I'm, <laughs> i've done it so many times but i like the beginning bit it's uh it's pretty interesting and that that i guess is also like kind of waiting for ai to start doing our in-betweens 
Um, <laughs> just set the, set the key process and uh, go back to the old days, basically. Christina, what about yourself? Uh, yes, um, I can speak to it for keyframe animation and for motion capture because it's a little bit different. Um, so if it if it is keyframe animation, my personal preference and also what Goodbye Kansas does is um, we work in stages. So they'll be very distinctly blocking, blocking plus blind and polish. And we use F-Track to keep track of how many hours we're spending in each um, in each stage. Um, and the intention here is that there be an additive workflow. And we'll even try to get the client to sign off on the blocking before we move on. Um, so it's very specific. Um, but then, of course, we know, we understand that we're providing a service. And, I, and even if I'm just the animator myself, I'm providing a service. So if if it it's not just an end project product we have to kind of take the journey with the client so if we have to go back and go out of order of course we do um and if it's like something very big and very different from approved blocking then that would maybe require a change order from production so they might have to say you know okay this is not what we talked about at all so this is this is going to take a lot more time um but one example i have that um i really i had a great client on um a series of unfortunate events. Uh, the showrunner was Barry Sonnenfeld. Um, so what was wonderful is that um, we did a lot of pre-production. So we knew that we had to do um, a bunch of eagles flying around. Um, and we saw kind of the edit. So we knew that they had to glide, then they had to do a, a fast flying, and they had to do a heavy pumping. Um, so we were able to say, like, let's get those approved first and let's put them in the shot and block them out so we can get the right speed and composition. And then they signed off on that. They allowed me to just do that first. And then we went in and we put in all the variations on top on animation layers and like faster and slower. Um, and because they did it that way, uh, they allowed us to do it that way. We didn't have to go back and forth and try to change detailed animation. Um so it's wonderful when you get your, your client to agree. Um, but as far as if I had a motion capture, that might be a little bit different um, because ideally you would put a clean clip in everywhere. And then if you got notes, you would just do those notes on top of the clean clip. But um, we had one show where we have military characters on a ship. <clears throat> so first I wanted to know what clips I actually need to clean. So I did like a version one of kind of uh, less clean clips. And I put them in everywhere. But on my character in the rig, I made a group and just wrote which um, which cycle I was using. And then when I went back and I could, I didn't have to clean all the clips that didn't get approved by um, Jim Parsons' RVFX soup. If he didn't like them, then I didn't have to go back and clean them. So then I went back and cleaned the ones that he picked. And then I uh, found the name, went to the start frame, and dropped in version two using Studio Library. Um, so I think it's really important to work smarter, not harder. So really try to keep organization. Very nice. Uh, Zolt, over to you. Yeah. Well, my experience, it depends on your creative director. So there you go. You can, you can set any process in, uh, but I don't think I've ever done a project where we haven't changed something fundamentally or, or process has at some point been ignored even though we always try to work towards it so it's a bit like your you know your your client uh christina in terms of that you know um i think the main thing that i focused on is that we all we all know 
what what a good process should be. There should be waterfall. There should be gates. We need to leave uh, freedom for uh, agile R and D development and for new hotness to come in and other things to sort of you know go away. And I think the the best way to manage that is just to make sure that your project as much as you can, even the unknowns, uh, are costed. Because then when the creative director perhaps comes in and asks for something to be changed and go back again, we can at least say, and we need to remove, you know, here's your options. If we do this, which we totally can do, we need to remove one or two of these other things so that we can still hit our deadline. And I think rather than that being confrontational, I think it's just, it's really good. It's a really healthy discussion. And I certainly want it from my animation team as well. Like if I, if I change my mind as something that I've approved and stuff like that, you know, okay, I'm free to do that. But I need the animator to also tell me how long will it take? What will I maybe not get instead? And then I, and, and then I've got all the, all the options and I can weigh the decisions. And I think as long as that happens, then I think we can go back on gates and we can do everything else on that. Cool. Thanks very much. Yeah, no, I, I asked cause after I, I started off uh, learning like, oh, the way animation works is you iterate, you do this pass, then you do this pass, and you do this one. It's like, okay, this is really cool. And then you start working with, with, uh, you know, other people in, in the, the cool games team making it. And he's like, oh, all these different inputs, so many different things think. So not only do I need the passes for my quality, I need the passes because there's questions that are going to be asked after you do something and you have to come back and change it and improve it. But in my more recent years, I've, I, I don't know, maybe it's just the where I've ended up. I've ended up on more and more projects where it's like, all right, we've got, we've got this sprint or this collection of sprints to start this feature, implement it and then submit it. And then that's it. We don't really go back and we can't really adjust it. Um, and those two different workflows, there's both positives and, and negatives to each. So I was really curious to get everyone's like thoughts and feedbacks. And I, I know I, I miss like more of that iteration, but I am aware that sometimes with the iteration, that's where feature creep, that term where it's, it's like most rampant. You get loads of people going, I just keep revisiting that. I can just keep going back to that. And they never push it to like the final pass. Um, yeah. So ah. I'm just making sure my hands down again. Uh, <laughs> yeah, just 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 in relation to that, I think what what really helps. I'm I'm old school as well. I work first, second, third. You know, block, spline, whatever polish we could call it. But in three passes, and I think the key thing there is to you you need to get things in. You need to see what they are. You need to do that, and that should be quick and cheap. And we just we can iterate and we can keep doing it. And, and what I really try to do is make sure that we we don't go past first pass till as late as possible. You kind of keep that kind of break on. And we try to, we, you know, and I think if, if, if you approach every problem, create a problem like that, then the, the wastage at first pass is probably quite high, you know, because it's exploration. But as you go down each pass, it, it, it should be minimal. And by the time you're putting any kind of final polish and detail in, like we should all be high fiving. This is solid. This is great. We could we could ship it like now. All you're doing is just adding this extra love. So it's cool, you know. And I think I think more a project or a team can work to that ethos, then the more successful they'll be. I fully agree. That that definitely sounds more in line with my more favored favored ways of working, where it's like I, I prefer to do passes on multiple features. Right, try and get multiple features more enough. Uh, in sync with each other, maybe one or two lead the way, sort of vertical slicey. That's what it looks like when it works really good. But whenever you come with a new feature and you want to have space to do a new feature at the end, sometimes that new feature 
has a requirement or at least would benefit from revisiting the animations of your previous features. Maybe it's a bit of posing update or just a little bit of how it flows in and out of that feature to really integrate the new feature into them. So it's not an extra that sits over there that is available. They're all connected. And I like to have that that freedom to revisit, but I also I understand like the we want the process to be able to go forward and make sure we are making progress and uh, submitting work that's gone through the different passes. Great question. Well, thank you very much. And there's uh, time for the last question. So, Nicholas, over to you. Hello. Yeah, so I think let's start off with the uh, AI. Uh, it's big in the news at the moment. Um, so, and especially from games, I would sort of want to hear uh, your guys' thoughts uh, of how it's going to change your day-to-day um, work, basically. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm super excited about sort of what I said before about that um, now smaller studios can get access to sort of bigger studios technology kind of thing uh, with mocap and stuff like that. That's going to be way easier to, to do now. Um, I'm thinking also that kind of rotoscoping and uh, match moving, that kind of stuff is more or less going to go away. The computers should be able to handle that. Um, yeah, and I'm also yeah just um, thinking about the in-between stuff. That would be great. I think I still think that the, the creative minds are going to be there, but potentially we could maybe be less animators on a big uh, feature uh, in the future. Uh, we might not need the bulk. We'll just need potentially more more creative minds. Uh, we'll just keep the, the good creative minds, I guess, and the, and the, the bulk uh, maybe uh, computer. Do. But I don't know. And uh, yeah, just wanted to hear your thoughts. Absolutely, really interested to hear your thought on that about AI being exciting because most of the conversations I've had with people is that they're either scared of it, don't like it, or, <laughs> you know, like, especially with an art and design about it, you know, yeah. being a protest against it, really. So to hear an aspect of, no, it's exciting, it, it could bring in something that's very useful. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's super cool, right? I mean, it's, uh, I think it's just another tool, right? There's anything else. Uh, like when OCAP mm-hmm. came, it's, it's a tool uh, they used to, to create better images. Yeah, and, and like all this, when uh, when you can Google now or, or create images just out of typing stuff, uh, it's great because you can you can get a concept out really quick, even if you're not a concept artist. Uh, so a, a director can show you something like 80, 70, 80 percent of where he wants, uh, instead of just giving you a text, uh, and then you can work from there. Um, so I think it's yeah, I'm super excited about it. Nice. Well, what, what's everybody else's thought? Does anyone want to jump in and, and give their thoughts on this? Uh, I can, I guess. Uh, <laughs> said that no, very tentatively. As you said, it's a big subject and it's quite controversial, you know. And I think, but ultimately, Nicholas, I think you're you're right. It's a tool. And I, you know, I'm I'm a really old person, and I remember when uh, motion capture kind of came fully into the scene. For, for games and I remember yeah you know my colleagues and peers at the time just felt like oh no that's the end of our craft and we won't be respected anymore and studio managers were like that's great that's the end of their craft <laughs> we don't have to worry about it anymore um and 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 we know the journey that that took is that is that the truth is uh for many uh of my my colleagues um Motion capture was brilliant. They they learned more and more, and certainly I, I speak for myself when I was production animator. I learned more and more about um, human motion, about physics of it, and everything like that. The quality mile that motion capture set 
for games when 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 you had to create additional assets that needed to go with it well it pushed your quality bar because you couldn't suddenly you know you had to produce assets that were comparable that didn't suddenly stick out like a sore thumb in terms of that you know like dipping or anything so again it encouraged everybody to get better at hand key animation um and i think the i mean like my question at the beginning is now like motion capture cool this is a great toy and we can use it as reference or we can push it in this way and it just it didn't I, I don't see any any less animators being hired in the industry as a result of it in fact it created even more jobs because there's now motion capture uh technicians editors and everything like that so so as a tool it, it was actually a boom for for the craft and for the industry so we're just gonna have to wait and see what what uh ai does and where that fits in but i'm sure in some ways it, it, there's going to be uh positive outcomes christina have you got any thoughts on this uh, yes um I think that's really cool about it is that um, is the art that's coming out of it. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where it'll fit in into production and what we what uh, we do, but I've I I don't know if you've seen Taste of Duality. They came out with a Gen 2 AI animation short. Um, it's really beautiful. And then I guess if uh, so, as art, it stands alone and it, and you can appreciate it for what it is. Um, I don't know if it was in uh, in production and the client had a note. I don't know how how easy or hard it is to actually like tweak something. So if you couldn't tweak it for the client, could you use it? Um, but as far as um, I I love watching all my artist friends on Instagram and social media. They're they're using Midjourney, and um, the two that I follow one is called um quiet into the unknown on um, Instagram and it's director Frederick Okerstrom who did um the battlefield one and some some other for dice he was my director on that one um and what I think is really cool is that I didn't know he thought that way but I could sit I could imagine him feeding words into the prompt and telling the story and then I get the image and I say oh wow he's thinking about this like it's the fastest storytelling tool where I, I can imagine him making it. It's pretty amazing. Um, and then another one that I follow is um, an old colleague from New York, Justin Maynard, who's a 3D artist, but he's moved to Morocco now and he's making these um, mixed media uh, artwork um, from, um, he starts in the beginning with, um, with um, Midjourney and he'll start feeding in some images from his uncle-in-law who's a Moroccan artist and um and eventually they become these cedar wood sculpted reliefs and then he also does animation with them and again um I remember just seeing one of his he, he had uh two options that were a mother and child and it was it was like a relief and it was so beautiful and I loved the the look on the child's face and knowing that he has a child himself and, and a wife. And I, I could imagine him seeing his wife and child and and appreciating them and then turning that into art. So so I, I, I like watching what people make with it. But then as far as um, an industry goes, it's really funny because, well, not funny, but my father, he worked for the printing press. <laughs> So he was like uh, head at the printing press and everybody eventually got laid off and he was the last one. And they, then he went into computers, what took over the printing press. So I think that's just what it is. We'll just all adapt. Yeah, fair. absolutely. So, and some really good points as well. Um, Amos? Yeah, I feel like uh, I've not done a lot of research into it, but I definitely feel like everyone has sort of, sort of hit, you know, hit the nail on the head, so to speak, where it's, 
it's going to be very similar to uh, to another tool that comes in and grows into itself like NoCat. Um, it's it's and in, I think it's going to have a lot of similarities where it can do a lot of quick mass production, but the mass production isn't necessarily the highest quality and it's not going to match any sort of stylization you want, especially if you want unique stylization because AI needs a reference point. So, and the same for mocap. You can't, it's, uh, as we've gone through the years of mocap, we can now get to the point where you can look at motion and most of the time you go like, oh, I can definitely see, especially in the game space, that's mocap versus that's, that's, um, that's hand-keyed. And hand-keyed has a whole breadth of style and mocap generally always feels very similar. It depends on who the actor is, but you can feel it and it gets its own flavor to the point it's like, oh, now I kind of miss out on the hanky because a lot of that feels the same over there and I want I want now some different. And I think AI, AI is going to be in the same space. The other thing I think it's going to do is cheap mocap makes cheap data, which isn't the highest quality and it takes more time to clean, clean up. You need more animator time to make it do what you need it to do. And I think AI would be the same. The really expensive uh, AI, the one that's got more you know, back into it, more history and more money into it and costs you more to get hold of, will be able to fill in more of the work for you. But overall, you're probably going to go for cheaper solutions, which means you need animators to really fill in the gaps and fix things up. Um, and then there's the other... Um, the other end of it, even with uh, high quality mocap or high quality technology, you need the people who understand, so the animator, to put in wh whether it's keywords that direct it or set up like, right, make sure you solve like this. I need the solving the skeleton work like this. In my head, I imagine the way a really good AI would be able to do animation that works for games, because right now I've not seen any works really for game assets. For combat, is it would have to look at the motion of a character and then it would have to determine what the skeleton's doing. Because seeing the outline of a character isn't actually how you animate. You don't just block out. I know we talk about silhouettes, but that's not how you animate. You animate the skeleton. So you have to understand what the motion of the skeleton is. So AI needs to understand that fundamental thing. The skeleton is like this. I need to solve the outline turns into this. Once we've like put in all the data to make sure that works, then it starts producing and starts matching up. And it's going to reference things, mix them up and match up. You're going to get a lot of data. And in like in other projects I can think of with face effects as a facial thing, it's great for NPCs. But as soon as you want your primary character on the screen and they're going to take the full thing, you want to hire a hand-keyed um, facial animator or someone who can take um, like uh, faceware where you've got the, both the reference video, you've got the mocap of the face, and the animator really cleans it up and really hits what it needs to hit. So animators always be needed, whether it's just to make sure it hits the right dots or it pushes up the quality, or we have entire animators so we have unique styles and not just the revolving AI way. At least that's what I'm going to predict will happen with AI if it enters the gaming space properly. Cool. Do you think it's going to be like actually running live in the game? Because that would be kind of cool if you could have like characters that are completely adaptable to environments and uh, like things happening in the game. I imagine the closest it would get to is... Um, motion matching the way ubisoft presented uh, their motion matching when they first did it where if you have enough mocap data it can in real time find the right blend based on external input or collision data like oh there's a collision here i've got all of this data and that's the blend i want and that will be my move and it looks very 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 good but it's based on it's all pre-recorded mocap data that it was using it for and i think AI is going 
It's going to have a blend of lots of pre-existing data. I don't think it's going to make new data on the fly. Okay. Any any further thoughts from you, Nicholas, before we wrap up after hearing, obviously, from everyone everyone there on their opinions? No, I think, yeah, I mean, it sounds like we're kind of all in the same. Everyone's kind of excited, a little bit worried. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's brilliant. Well, uh, thank you. for It was a, a really good question. Um, seems like we always get AI questions these days. And like you said, it's actually really interesting to hear different people's opinions on it, you know. Uh, and it will be definitely interesting to see where it goes in the next couple of years. But thank you to uh, to all of your questions because it's been a really good discussion. We've obviously got loads out of that and hopefully it's been really interesting for people to listen to. So, yeah, I'll take this opportunity to thank Athos, Zol, Nicholas and Christina for all your input and your time and, and your shared knowledge and experience. It's fantastic. So thank you very much and uh, we will see you next time.